know what that sound means. It's another exciting installment of the Van Brawl Season Podcast, where we talk local sports, both the Atlanta Pro franchises, like the Braves, Hawks, Falcons, and we also talk the University of Georgia Bulldogs. So strap in, guys. It's another exciting episode about to start right now. What up, Podcast Land? This is just Jam and Joe of the Fan Brawl Seasons Podcast. We're doing a rare Saturday episode. Uh, my normal sidekick, RG3, is on the beach, uh, living it up. I'm not going to reveal, reveal his locale, but he's living it up. <laughs> and uh, sitting in for him, I've got uh, the man, the myth, the legend, a guy that you guys know pretty well, and that is my dad. Dad, how's it going? Joe. Really exciting to join you on on the podcast this morning. Although to be honest with you, I wish I was in Richard's shoes, uh, laying on the beach. Uh, Richard's got things figured out. He's a he's a shrewd man, for sure, for sure. Um, so let's kind of get into some things a little bit. Uh, first, starting with some baseball talk uh, with the Braves. Dad, the trade deadline is five days away. So, so what do you think is the Braves' biggest need with five days left? Joe, I am so excited. This is like Christmas in the summer when you get to the trade deadline. You get a lot of people with wish lists and people that want their dreams fulfilled. And then you have some people who end up being frustrated and disappointed because not every uh, trade gets to be made. But I think the Braves are certainly looking for some help with their pitching. And, um, you know, we got a, a shot last week with uh, Kevin Gossman uh, all of a sudden showing up out of nowhere and uh, and really giving the Braves a shot in the arm and how that impacts the trade deadline. They don't know what they have with Kevin Gossman yet. They might not be in as big a hurry or as quite as aggressive as they would have been before Kevin Gossman pitched that great game last Sunday. I honestly think it's more about the relief core and the bullpen than it is the starting pitching. If, if you can get Gosman back on track, then that's really the thing. Um, I'm, I'm hearing rumors about Syndergaard. Well, what do you think about that? I'd be really shocked if, uh, if Syndergaard got traded, and especially if he got traded within the Mets division to the Braves. Uh, I don't know what the Mets would want in return, uh, but I'd, he's a fine pitcher, but I... I'd be very surprised if that deal went down. Um, what about uh, you as far as uh, Syndergaard? Do you see that uh, playing out? I honestly don't. I, 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 like you, would be really surprised to see the Braves go after go after him. And especially if Brody Van Wagenen, the Braves, or not the Braves, but Brody Van Wagenen, the Mets general manager, wanting to trade within the division. I did read this report from an online publication the other day. Then that said, that said uh, former Mets general manager Omar Minaya was at the Mississippi Braves game Thursday night to watch Ian Anderson pitch. So, and he's the Braves' top pitching prospect. So, like, what does that say? Or does that say anything? I, I don't know. Well, the, you know, just for fun, let's look at it. Would you trade Ian Anderson for a Syndergaard? Sure. I wouldn't. Straight up? Straight up. No. No. Uh, um, now, Anderson has a really bright future in front of him, and Syndergaard is kind of up and down and all over the place. Uh, very talented, but not consistent. I think, I, 
And going back to Anderson for, for a second, I think he leads the Southern League in strikeouts. With, um, and he also has an opponent's batting average of like 200 against. So, I mean, he, he's really good. And I think he's going to be the next Brave pitcher to come up. I've, I've heard reports uh, that there were scouts at uh, the Braves AAA affiliate uh, Gwinnett watching Kyle Wright his last start. Would you be? Would you see a team be interested in Kyle Wright, and would you be willing to give up Kyle Wright or Bryce Wilson? To I get think, something? depending, you know, it would certainly need to be an attractive uh, return. But uh, you know, we're not going to be able to keep all these young pitchers. There just isn't a spot for them. But I, I would trade Kyle Wright. I would trade Bryce Wilson a little more reluctantly. Um, I'd trade Fulton Evich, um, you know, he's a question mark. And then, um, Sean Newcomb, I would listen on Sean Newcomb, but Joe, it's really something to think about that at the beginning of the year, Fulton Evich and Newcomb were considered our, are really our top two starters and we're doing just fine and we're really not getting anything out of them. Although Newcomb has improved in the bullpen, um, and maybe that's going to end up being his role. But I'm a, I'm really impressed with how the Braves have um, managed to, to get through the season and do as well as they have with without Fulton Evich and Newcomb playing the roles that we all thought they were going to play. I agree with that. I agree with that. I'm really, really high on Newcomb out of the bullpen. I think he's really really um try to kind of find his niche so to speak and uh i i've heard reports about him maybe being the braves next closer i've been pushing for that for months i mean all you have to do is go back and listen to previous episodes but i've been pushing for newcomb um to come up here and uh and be the braves closer at the end of games well there's a very good chance you know we don't know what's going to happen this week Trade-wise, but there's a very good chance that Fulton Evich and Newcomb and maybe some of the other young arms, Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson, might come up and be pitching out of the bullpen for the big team. And that's what they get as opposed to new new arms via the trade route. So, And that, you know, that doesn't mean that these guys will be relief pitchers the rest of their lives, but that might be the role they play between now and September. Definitely, definitely. I, I will say one trade piece that that I think the Braves should definitely look at is one Adam Duvall. He set a Gwinnett home run record uh, with 29. He's got 29 home runs already. Like, I look at him as definitely a trade piece. Well, but it takes two to tango. Um, you know, we'll see what offers you get and who's interested in him. It seems like uh, pitching is what's really the the commodity in demand uh, here at the trade deadline. and But it'll be interesting to see if somebody gets uh, excited about Mr. Duvall and comes forward with a, an offer. So kind of sticking with the trade theme with the Braves, and this is more turning to prospects. One prospects would you be willing to give up for the Braves? Well, as we said before, I'd trade Kyle Wright. I'd trade Bryce Wilson. I'd trade Mike Fultonevich. Um... I'd listen on Newcomb. I wouldn't trade Ian Anderson. Uh, I think Wentz I I might consider. You know, and and then, of course, um, 
Colby Allard's out there, and uh, I don't know what the demand's like for him, but uh, I'd listen on him. The the prospects, I would not give up. I would not give up Christian Pache. I would not give up Drew Waters, and I would not give up Ian Anderson. And maybe Kyle Muller. I'm going to put Kyle Muller in that kind of, like, realm of, like, of, like, untouchable in my eye. Just from, like, what I hear from people in the know with the Braves. Um, so, so, that's going to kind of wrap it up in terms of, like, our trade talk. We're five days away from the trade deadline. It should be really, really fun. Um, that's going to happen Wednesday. The deadline is 4 o'clock Eastern. So, I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to be glued to my phone, glued to TV, just trying to figure out what, what kind of moves are going to happen and how it's going to shape the rest of the baseball season. Um, so, so, we're going to transition from trades and prospects and stuff to the current state of the Atlanta Braves. Uh, the Braves got a huge win last night in Philadelphia, winning nine to two. And we saw and we saw Mike Soroka and we saw uh, Mike Soroka have a good start. I know he didn't get through five innings like, like they wanted, but uh, but I thought he pitched fairly well. Well, it wasn't five; it was I think four. But he uh, he did pitch well, and you know it's just amazing to me every time I see him pitch. He uh, and think he's not even 21 yet, and uh, to d- be doing as well as he's doing uh, is really exciting. Thinking about the future, and because I think he's only going to get better and better. Uh, you know what different differentiates him from some of the other guys is the number of pitches he can throw in any situation. Uh, he has excellent command, and uh, to have all that at such a young age is really amazing. It, it really is. It really is. He toes the slab for the Braves. It, to, to me, it is like must-watch TV. I, I look at him, and I'm just like, I cannot wait to see what this kid's going to do. The The other exciting thing about uh, last night's game is, is we really saw the Braves' offense kind of wake up after kind of a uh, – I'm trying to think of the right adjective – after kind of a uh, – sluggish homestand, so to speak. Yeah, they weren't exactly swinging the bat, um, especially the games against the Royals. But, you know, that happens if you play 162 games. You go through periods where you go up and down and you're hot and you're cold. And uh, they ran into some, you know, some pretty good young pitchers. And uh, it's unfortunate that they wasted some uh, some. Excellent perform, uh, pitching performances by their own guys, but um, yeah, like Duran the other night. Yeah, that was unfortunate for Julio. He pitched well enough to win, and uh, and even Dallas Keuchel when he pitched, I thought um, he pitched well enough to win. But the Braves uh, bats weren't going, but they certainly were going last night, and uh, it's going to be uh, interesting. You know, finishing up the weekend in Philadelphia and then heading to D.C. and playing the Natties um, and see what where the Braves stand at the end of this road trip. It'll give you a real good insight as to how things will play out over the rest of the summer. And and uh, what and a couple more things from the Philly uh, one last night. Acuna drove in three. It was good to see him. Kind of heat back up at the top of the lineup. Kind of get back to doing his usual thing. The the one bit of unfortunate news, though, uh, is Nick Marquez was injured, getting hit with a pitch on the wrist, 
and I was listening to the uh, to the wrap up show last night, and it sounds like Mark Hagis doesn't feel too good about it. He he said it got him pretty good, and uh, it doesn't look good from his perspective. So my question to you: Who do you think is gonna fill in in right field if he has to go on the DL or the aisle? I think they might sort of platoon it with uh, Joyce and Culberson, depending on the who's pitching against them that day. Certainly, uh, Culberson has proven himself to be a very capable fielder. Uh, Joyce gives you a little more pop from the left side, uh, you know, if you're facing a, a, a big-time right-handed pitcher. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. I'm I, sorry to see that from... Um, Nick's standpoint, and I hope uh, hope it's not injured too seriously. But in a way, it's I think it might be a little bit of a break in that it'll get uh, allow him to get some rest. Um, you know, it's a long, hot, hard season, and he's an older guy. And um, while you certainly hate to see people get injured, um, maybe a little break here will do him some good as far as uh, rejuvenating him going down the stretch. Yeah, what's up? What's up? I, I, I concur with you about the platoon idea with uh, with Culberson and with Joyce. And, you know, like, like you explained, the strengths and the weaknesses with Charlie and Joyce, I think I think they each provide something a little different. And uh, when, when I think of Charlie Culberson, I, I can't stop thinking about that play that he made against the Marlins, that, that throw or that catch and throw home plate and be, being there in the stadium it, it, it was really cool and the one of the other options they have is uh camargo but that's right right now he's having to play shortstop because dan dansby's a little dinged up and uh, yeah. so but the braves certainly have capable options um then we have mr duvall down in gwinnett if they had to bring him up so you got austin riley um uh, you got Austin Riley. The Braves are going to be just fine. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not too worried about it. I'm not too worried about it. So we're going to transition here from a little Atlanta Braves baseball talk to some Atlanta Falcons football. Dad, training camp is um, is four days in. Just kind of get your early vibe on training camp and kind of what you think about it so far. Well, it happens every year, but it just amazes me. Uh, the Falcons lost two players to injury the very first day. Yeah. And uh, it's just a reminder about how tough that sport is on the body. And, you know, these guys, it's not like they just rolled out and started playing. They've been working hard and training, you know, for several months. And But the first day on the field, you lost two guys. And uh, so that's, uh, you know, that's, that's a jolt. And it's a reminder of how significant injuries can be in the NFL. Um, More so than like college. Right. Um, they have smaller rosters and less depth. And right. uh, the loss of uh, of a player or two can really change a team. So, yeah, that's the first thing. What I always enjoy uh, watching is for the development, the guys that were rookies or maybe second-year players last year, see what kind of step forward they're going to take. Uh, this year, I'm particularly interested in seeing how Mr. Ridley goes from being a rookie to being a second-year pro. Um, I don't think his his role is going to change that much, 
but uh, with Julio and Sanu, uh, you know, getting a, a lot of attention, I think Ridley has a chance to really be an effective wide receiver. And now he's got a little experience, which should help him. Joe, what are you looking at uh, heading into this season? I'm I'm really interested to see how how the Falcons' offense kind of comes back to earth with Dirk Cutter uh, running the show. When uh, when he was here the first time with Matt Ryan, uh, the Falcons got as far as the NFC Championship game, and we we got to see like Matt Ryan kind of coming to his own. The no huddle offense is something that's really big with Dirk Cutter. I think Dirk Cutter is going to allow. Matt Ryan to have more freedom to do what he wants. Under Kyle Shanahan, he didn't really have the type of freedom uh, to change the play at the line of scrimmage or you know do that type of stuff. And, and so I really think this is going to be good for Matt Ryan. The two of them know each other really well. So that's, that's definitely something I'm looking looking to see. Another thing I'm looking to see is how is Dark Cutter going to use Devontae Freeman? Is is he gonna is he looking to get the ball in his hands like uh, in the in the passing game? Or just straight up the gut, or like, how is he going to use free? To to me, to me, the Falcon offense hinges a lot on the health of number twenty four. Well, I agree with you, and um, you know, it was tough not having him last year. You lose a lot. Um, he's he's really effective, you know, running off tackle and running outside, and uh, I think the Falcons might be forced to reduce his number of touches just to try and keep him healthy uh, over the course of a long season. But you know, I don't, we're going to find out about the depth at running back. You have uh, Ido Smith and then some rookies, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what, what the Falcons have there. Because, uh, you know, they're talking about changing Offensive philosophies, as you've previously indicated, with uh, Dirk Cutter running things, uh, I don't, I don't know the role of the running backs, what that role is going to be. So it'll be fun to watch and uh, see how this unfolds. It really will. It really will. Um, another, another thing that happened in terms of the Falcons. It was Tuesday. They signed former Chiefs defensive lineman Allen Bailey, who had six sacks last year for the Chiefs. Do you think he's got a chance to make an impact on the 2019 Falcons on the defensive line? I think so. Uh, I think the Falcons like, you know, Dan Quinn likes to have a lot of defensive linemen. He likes to rotate them through and get, keep them fresh. Mr. Bailey, I think, was born in Georgia. You know, he ended up going to college at University of Miami, but... Uh, I think he'll be excited about playing much closer to home, uh, and it'll be it has the potential to give the Falcons' defense a real shot in the arm if they can come up with someone else who can pressure the passer. Because really, that's the glaring weakness on the Falcons. Over last year, compared to the Super Bowl year, they they really don't get they really did not get the heat on the opposing quarterback that they need to and. Uh, they're certainly trying to. They have a number of different options or pieces that, under the right circumstances, could be a partial answer. But uh, we'll just have to see how all that unfolds. Well, one last point I want to bring up on the defense. Well, what are your thoughts on Dan Quinn kind of taking it over? I think that might be a positive move. Uh, that When he was running the defense in Seattle, they had one of the best defenses in the NFL. And um, 
you know, you look, there are a lot of off- head coaches that are offensive coaches. Uh, Andy Reid calls plays for his team, and Sean Payton calls plays for his team. You know, why, why should it be any different on the defensive side? Uh, Dan Quinn will be calling defenses for the Falcons, and this year he's... Uh, He's hired some assistants to try and help him with game management as far as using timeouts and uh, strategic decisions. No doubt. And I think, you know, so that ought to free him up to be more focused and involved with the defense. And hopefully it'll lead to a better performance from that unit for the Falcons this year. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Well, Dad, the Hall of Fame game is on Thursday. The Braves are in Philadelphia for the rest of the weekend and then have a big series against Washington. Uh, I was looking at um, the pitching uh, matchups for the Washington series, and I noticed that the Braves are going to have to face Patrick Corbin on Monday. They're going to face Max Scherzer on Tuesday and potentially uh, Anibal Sanchez on Wednesday. So it's going to be tough. What about Strasburg? Uh, we we miss Strasburg. We miss Strasburg. Good. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> He's pitched well against us this year. But, yeah, it's not going to be easy. The The Nats uh, lost Bryce Harper at the end of last year, and they redirected the money they were spending on him or planning on spending on him and invested in more pitching. So uh, uh, being loaded with uh, experienced starting pitching is not a bad place to be in uh, – the Nats are going to be a formidable competitor, uh, I think, all the way through September. No doubt, no doubt. So, Dad, I want to thank you for uh, pinch hitting uh, this morning for RG3. who's out on the beach. Enjoy the rest of your vacation, buddy, and I'll see you when you get back. So, for my dad, I'm Jam and Joe. This has been another exciting installment of the Fan for All Seasons podcast, and we'll talk to you next week. See ya.